Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, Tori Smith will be joining us for the Friday Sixer. Uh, but we start every show with the Thursday Night Football Time Machine. Macon, take it away. I was noodling on a really fun headline for the next day, and I failed. So I'll give you the numbers. Miami 28, Jacksonville 13. Congratulations, you won. Congratulations, you won. I've got uh, Jacksonville 27, uh, Miami Dolphins 21. Wow, so we're another straight up pick. Pretty much. Dolphins get it, I go to 3-0. and Yeah, but you're, you're, that score is just its ridiculous. I'll tell you what. If the Dolphins win by, what did you just say they win by? 15. If the Dolphins win by more than two touchdowns, I'll throw something on top of this. I'll eat a, I'll eat a small bowl of mayonnaise. Perfect. And if I run the table and beat you 17 to nothing in this contest, you're up to nothing. I get your pod. I get your house. No, no, no. You don't get the house. You've got to move out of the country. What happens if I run the table? Whatever you like. You're not going to go 15 and two. It's going to be a good competitive season. Two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape, get ready for week three. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week three, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That includes this weekend's UFC 253. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GREENLIGHT when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during Week 3, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100 when you use promo code GREENLIGHT during sign-up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, so it's 11.49 p.m. 0-3. Thursday night time machine. I mean, just set this shit to 2x because I barely care about this game. But I care about you guys and maybe some of you out there are Dolphins or Jaguars fans. Did uh, LeBron James realize that the meth bowl was on tonight? Did Jamal Murray know that as he's doing Michael Jordan impersonations uh, that there are check downs happening on NFL Network? I just want everybody to think about how powerful football is. I opted for that. Now there were there were reasons I opted to watch that game over Lakers Nuggets. By the way, the Lakers just got the win. Um, whatever, Jags, Dolphins, Thursday night. You know the business. 
And also, Fitzy has now thrown four touchdowns against the Jags for five different teams, which is a world record. I don't say NFL record. I say world record. I got so tired of, you know, Jags, Titans, like so many of y'all did, color rush Thursday night, that this game really didn't even offend me at face value. Um, Week three, it's a little curious that we had to watch this. I'm not sure what they were getting at when they made the schedule here, but we just did that. Um, My wife, my lovely wife, Meg, just walked by as I was watching the game and called it an interesting choice by the NFL. I didn't tell her about my teaser. I had the Jags and the over dummy. I did tell her there was a lot at stake in the green light studios. As you guys just heard small bowl of mayonnaise at stake. If Miami won by three scores. And to me, that might as well be a vial of cyanide. I fucking hate mayonnaise. It's disgusting. The the consistency is just abhorrent. The good thing is a small bowl of mayonnaise is it's a bit subjective. And we'll talk about that Monday. So 31-13 was the final when I walked away from the burning pile of trash uh, that was that game. Either way, I know I'm eating some mayonnaise. Just make sure it's not like off-white. Just make it white mayonnaise. I don't know how yellowish mayonnaise tastes compared to white mayonnaise. Who makes what kind of mayonnaise? I've never touched the stuff. I prefer white mayonnaise, not the yellowish mayonnaise. I don't know if there's a difference, but... I have a say. And I stayed up till 11 p.m. watching the game, at least uh, because of analysis and because of mayonnaise. Okay. Yeah. I'm 0 3 in Thursday Night Time Machine. Watching football is overrated. I don't mean watching it for entertainment, but watching it to make your analysis is completely fucking overrated. I got a co host that, that sells real estate on the weekend and, you know, checks in on the games when he can. <laughs> And he has damn near hit the first Thursday night games on the, on the nose. Send this guy to Vegas. Watching games is overrated. Although, to be fair, I had not watched a ton of Jags. Anyways, on top of the side bet, we did decide on a punishment earlier today on the show. More on that in a bit. Not the most interesting game. Even though I could go back and forth between, you know, two ageless wonders, channel to channel. Fitz Magic and Rajon Rondo. I mean, what year is this? 2020 is weird. Uh, but this thing got out of hand early for the Jags. I mean, Fitzy was 11 for 11 off the bat. Seven different receivers he found, two touchdowns. I mean, the first drive, Gaskins gets eight carries. They just march. Uh, the Jags get it down 7 nothing. They have a shot to pin Miami down early and get the ball back maybe at midfield if things work out. The Gunners don't see the punt. It tails into the end zone. A play or two later, you've got a horse collar. That's a 50-yard swing. Third and four scramble, reverse, uh, into the red zone, touchdown. Okay, that's when the game was pretty much over. I mean, you've got tired defenses, and the time of possession was terrible for Jacksonville in the first half. Guys are gassed. Uh, After 14-0, it was just observational entertainment for me and maybe hope for a backdoor cover. You know, that two-minute drill before the half kind of shows the limitations of this team. It's not like everybody's going to march down the field and score with a minute to go backed up in a two-minute situation. But just anytime Gardner Minshew has to push the the ball downfield, I know we've given him the cute nickname of Moonshine Minshew. I love the kid. He's fun to watch. You know, we compared him to Jake Plummer recently. He's just limited 
pushing the ball deep and breaking off those chunk plays if they're not run after the catch type things. And, you know, without DJ Shark tonight, it just felt like you got a bunch of dump offs to Robinson, who's a nice player. Nice player. And by the way, one thing I learned about the Jags and about uh, this kid Robinson uh, via Aaron Andrews is that he's very committed. He plugs in his iPad, which is what playbooks exist on now in the NFL, and would walk around the yard and around the house until the iPad died, come back inside, plug it in until it charged, and repeat that whole process continually until he learned the playbook. I respect his commitment, but I'm wondering if he just should leave the playbook plugged in and sit by the outlet. Really nice player. Could be better at time management. (laughs) Also, one of the most pivotal plays of the game, uh, if you could use the word pivotal in this setting. And again, I feel bad for myself because I'm taking a dump on this game. And this would have been a huge national stage for your boy back in the day. I'm just dumping on this game. Third and 13, backed up. Moonshine Minshew. This was bad moonshine. Okay. If any of you guys know how to test moonshine, you put it in a spoon and you take a lighter to it. And if the blue flame is, is unbroken, it's good. That like, this was bad moonshine moonshine backed up, not taking care of the football. This moonshine will make you go blind. And Van Oy has the sack. He has the recovery, by the way, Landon Roberts, Kyle Van Oy, um, Kamu, it felt like just all my old teammates were out there making plays down there in that linebacking core. And listen, a lot like New England and B-Flow's from New England, there are not a lot of winning pass rushers down there. You know, Shaq Lawson, who's a nice player, is not going to be your number one rusher. Um, Kyle Vannoy is not a guy who's going to beat blocks consistently to, to hit the quarterback, to affect the quarterback. You have to scheme things up. But they did create a pass rush tonight, and it worked. And Kyle made a great play there. Also, hell of a job trucking that running back at one point, uh, blitzing right down the pipe and just decleated this fucker. I don't know who it was. I think it was probably a young kid. Vanoy was out there wreaking havoc, uh, unblocked in some situations. And on that very play, Cam Robinson was kind of one of the stars of the show. The left tackle for the Jaguars had to go to the, the locker room because he managed to get ejected. Um, for touching an official. We'll get to that problem in a second, but the biggest problem he had on the play in reality was not falling on the football. He stood around it. You know, no knee bend, just like, uh, do I have to pick this up? The problem got bigger, though, when he probably incurred a, a huge fine moving that official's arm who was sifting through the traffic in that pile, if you remember. I don't know what happened to these officials if they turned into a bunch of Karens. It's like, what the fuck happened? You got Jamie Collins last week, or what felt like last week, I guess it was the opener. And then you've got Cam Robinson, which was way worse today. I mean, like I've been in a lot of those piles. You don't know who's grabbing you. You're just trying to get arms off you. And the officials, if you're going to belly flop on these cats, just know they're probably going to touch you too. And at this point, I kind of call mercy on the game. Uh, so these are the odds and ends I saw from the Jags, okay? The the internet likes the kid from, from Colorado. Chanel, I got to watch him more. Looks like a, a strong possession type receiver who's going to break tackles. Josh Allen got on the board. DE1 for Jacksonville. Josh Allen on the board. Picks up a garbage sack late in the game on a, a rollout or a boot. You love that because getting that first, um, first kind of weight off your back is big. I mean, I can remember games where, you know, 
if you go two games without a sack, you feel terrible. If Josh Allen, a guy who went double digits last year, had gone three games without a sack, especially knowing he's kind of been in some competitive ball games that were shootouts, he was going to feel like a baseball player in a slump. So good for him. CJ Henderson had a tough game. First thing I do when I turn on the game, I see he doesn't touch the receiver down. It's a bad bad rep kind of like we're not still in college but it happens uh didn't come off and make a big play in the red zone on that touchdown kind of stuck a little bit his eyes were bad Connolly had a bad game the wide out uh who dropped that ball in the second half on the first possession when they really needed a needed points you just knew they they needed to get on the board also third and three opi in the third uh killed the drive and he was the victim of a terrible overthrow so that wasn't his fault but end of the third the only hope for the jags was to connect on that busted coverage and Minshew couldn't do it uh but the jags kept making me stay up and stay up they cut it to 14 you know gunner and i uh as as you heard earlier set the line for Mayo at 14. And as they scored late in the game to make it 15, pending the extra point, Meg turns to me as she's walking upstairs and so says, that's great, babe, no Mayo. And she really meant that. I love my wife. She didn't want me to eat this bowl of Mayo. Uh, but then the extra point missed. <laughs> and then it just got uglier. And eventually a guy named Van Ginkle closed the thing out. And uh, I decided to go to bed. So Miami... Good win. Looks like uh, if they're going to unseat Fitzy, it's by design, and they're absolutely going to force Tua in at some point, or because he absolutely just gets killed out there. I mean, the guy got hit a lot tonight, but he's like Buddy Lee. He just he just doesn't die. Um, good win for B Flow. I'm never going to be mad when the Dolphins win as with B Flow coaching, even if I'm losing money and I got to eat mayonnaise. Uh, it's one of the good guys. So let's get to uh, what the punishment's going to be. I hope I didn't go too long. It's hard for me to keep the recaps short. I love these recaps, even if it's Jacksonville and Miami. Um, and to be clear, we made our picks at 4.27 p.m. Now on it's, Thursday. Yeah, now it's 4.28. The 24th, and now it's 4.28. And, uh, what you just heard was like 12.04. Yeah. A. A.M. Just crunching tape, yeah. notes, all that stuff. Uh I think we're ready to decide on a punishment for the loser of this uh, this here contest. Yeah, I got clear eyes and a full heart about the punishment. Can I tell you something? I hate that quote. I only say it like that. I don't take it any further. I didn't even watch the show. You don't go can't lose. Mm-mm, no. Hate that quote. A lot of people like that quote. A lot of people I notice is a lot of like high schoolers like it, that quote. It's uh, not adults. I think if you stop before can't lose, it's a compelling little line of English. Yeah, because you can lose. Plenty of people had clear eyes and a full heart and lost. Right. I just like the idea of having clear eyes and a full heart. That shit's too feel good. Um, Print the t-shirts. Yeah, print the t-shirts, baby. People have been asking about green light merch, by the way. Oh, let, let me add myself to that list. Oh, you asked about it? No, I haven't, but I would like a... A thing? Well, uh, we should work on that. Cowboy Reed. Swag. Put that on the docket, buddy. Um, maybe we'll get like one of those backwards hats with the hair coming out the back that people do with the visors, and that can be the making. Chris tells me, hey, let's, uh, let's run it back for the NFL season and no video. I say, great. The video added hours to my day last year. But the irony is you look better now. That's what the people are saying. And now I see myself on video more than I did last year because of all the social, the social what do we call the... Social uh, clips. 
the social clips. Yeah. That's a, that's an industry word. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the hair's long, so I have to contain it with this backward cap. I look like uh, Fun Bobby from the Jerry Seinfeld TV program. Can I just tell you that I was not a big Jerry Seinfeld TV program guy? Yeah, I, I knew that about you, and that's that's fine. I take no offense. One um, day I'm going to binge the whole thing and tell you what I think about it as a 40-year-old man. But like my thing is that when we watch Seinfeld as kids... I so heavily um, associated it with like homework time mm. at night and it was just kind of like, didn't it run at night in the evening? Yeah, I think it was Thursday, eight or nine, yeah. It just reminded me of a time where I had to do my homework. Back in the, the pre-Thursday night football days, in yeah. fact. Uh, that's fine, but if you like Curb, I mean, it, it's Curb just 20 years ago. I highly years doubt ago. that anybody on that show is as funny as Larry David. Yeah, I mean a different a different time. I, I perhaps my favorite fictional character of all time is George Costanza. Man, I've never heard anybody say that before. Um, so let's decide on the punishment. Okie dokie. Uh, Cowboy Reed, we had a list of some uh, some punishments for losing Thursday Night Time Machine that were submitted by our adoring fans. Uh, you know, we had people like go big, ahead and, big titty lover go ahead and say it. <laughs> We had people like Big Titty Lovers, Double Zero, who, valiant effort here, loser of the competition has to eat a, a watermelon, a whole watermelon while on IG Live, completely indifferent to the camera, uh, without a mention of why or what you're doing. I love that, but the problem is you can't, you can't punish us equitably that way. And I would say similarly, all the people saying that we have to don tech apparel I wouldn't want to see you in that. I wouldn't want to see you in right, that either. Right. So yeah. good good thought, creative. It just yeah. doesn't do anything for the winner. Uh, table smash, too easy. Um, eat a spoonful of mayo. I already kind of offered that up if you hit the score tonight or if the Dolphins win by three scores. 15 is two scores, Mike McCarthy. Yeah, right. but I'm talking about more than two touchdowns. You know what I mean. Okay. That was a pretty funny off-the-cuff Mike McCarthy That show. was, Thanks. I know. And you saw Mina Kimes had the breakdown. The fans were giving you hell because Mina Kimes broke down that she would have gone for two there. Yeah, big Mina Kimes fan right here, but I'm not with that logic. I can get on board with I some of the two-point logic. I'm not on board there. Listen, Mina had a take where she said Soundgarden, people only listen to it because it's loud. And I don't agree with all Mina's takes. She's batting like 970, though. That's fine. Yeah. Give, give me down eight as opposed to down nine with 4.57 left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, we're beating a dead horse on that thing, but I, I, I brought it up. Yep. Hey, so the one that I think is going to get the win here is the Waffle House submission. And that's going to go a lot like this. Uh, the loser of this competition is going to have to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. And the loser can deduct an hour. For every waffle that they eat? Correct. That seems so easy. It does. I could eat 12 waffles easy and just get a fuck ton of work done throughout the course of a day. Does, does Waffle Houses have Wi-Fi? I never checked when I was drunk late at night at a that, Waffle House. That's a good question. Cowboy Reed saying nah to the Wi-Fi. Damn. So how's your data plan? Data plan solid. Can we bring in a laptop? I mean, we don't, that's sitting in silence might be another. Maybe we add a twist to it. Another tier. But yeah, it does sound easier than it is, judging by the internet 
accounts of the Waffle House challenge. Here's going to be the problem. Waffle Houses have a really nice amount of natural light on the, you know, on average, big sprawling windows. Architecture is really good. Yes. It's got like a mid-century modern feel. Yeah, kind of like that. You do sell houses. Yeah, that's right. Uh, My fantasy football team name is The Houses. The Houses, that makes sense. Yeah, Synergy. Didn't, didn't get that till now. Synergy. The point <laughs> I was making about Waffle Houses, the daytime is going to be a breeze. The, uh, the part that's going to be hard is when people start getting fucked up and you're trying to uh, study Drew Brees' yards per attempt at 2 a.m. and you're charting stuff and I'm scribbling notes, maybe trying to catch some shut-eye. Uh, and people flood the Waffle House to fight, slur words, bump into me. I think we'd have a rule that you can't leave the building, correct? You can obviously go bathroom, but you yeah, can't yeah. go outside. Yeah. Will it be publicized which Waffle House we're at? Uh, I defer to you. If it's uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, I can only think of the one. Yeah, there's only one. Let me say there needs to be a camera crew of some sort. There needs to be some sort of documentation. Yeah. But I, I don't I I don't think that we give people a heads up. Okay. On, on the one. day. Okay. okay. So Waffle House, twenty four hours. And you get to choose the time you show up. Yeah? Yeah. What time are you gonna show up? If I lost, I would want to show up to a Waffle House. Honestly, I would want to be hungry. Yeah. And I'd want it to be my breakfast. So maybe, uh, I haven't played this out yet, but maybe a 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Been eh? up for a few hours, so fast. You're going to do like, you're going to... And then try to crush waffles. You're going to emerge at 10 a.m. No, because I'm going to deduct from the waffles. I'm trying to do a yeah. big old stack. I'll, I'll eat 24 waffles and be out of the can and like... The, the, I, I'm afraid that's right. Yeah. And that'll still be a fine punishment, but yeah. I have seen you house some food yeah in your so day that could happen yeah maybe we'll ask uh our guest tory smith what he thinks about the punishment um and he's he's gonna join us here in a second for our uh our friday sixer you know we didn't have a name for the questions that we pose on fridays but i feel like this this feels right and not everything needs a name nah but we gave this one anyways could be the interview all right, Tory Smith. So as I said before, multiple times Super Bowl champion. That's got a ring to it, doesn't it, Tory? It's nice to be introed that way. I, I, I get the same thing. Hey, what's up, man? Everybody ain't Tory able. Tory Smith. <laughs> Everybody's not <laughs> able. <laughs> exactly. How you doing, man? Doing good. How are you, man? We're good, man. Just just plugging along, getting through this week, getting to Sunday. Isn't it funny that like uh, we're kind of looking ahead? To, I don't know if you watch all the games the way I do for work and whatnot, but and you got a podcast of your own, but you guys don't talk football, football a ton, do you? No, but I'm doing like other media stuff. So I have to, I feel like I study harder now than I did as a player. I would agree with that as well on this end. I mean, like I've taken so many damn notes. It's not that we didn't study it. You just didn't have time to study. Like you, it's different. Yeah, right? it's different. You know, you can line up right now. Like they can call you right now. They can put you on the Josh McCown plan. Someone goes down, yeah. you go in, yep. 
you would line up and know exactly what to do, where to be. You don't have, you don't even have to know the scheme. You understand what you're looking at, right? Right. And that's how it is for me. I understand the defense. It's only for so many ways you can run a cover two or a cover three. So right. as a receiver, you know, that's not hard. It was more so about individuals and how they play. So now I have to know people's name. You know, I used to be like, man, 22 is on the right. Exactly, like, dude. You do, yeah, I've had to do this on this pod where I'll be like, man, that guy really. And then he, he just routed number 24. <laughs> You know, like there's all types of young DBs that I just never paid attention to. What I realized when I got out of it was I knew the teams and I knew the schemes. And like you said, like, you know, football, but there were names I'd never heard of that were very good players around the league. Amazing names. And uh, I still don't know. Them. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, sweat, I'm, sweat, I'm sweating bullets before the interview lies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name, right, pronounce it right. You yeah. know, but it's all good. It's been challenging. How much money would it take you to be on the Josh McCown plan? And would it depend on the team? <laughs> Uh, put me on the Josh McCown plan, you know, and then it, <laughs> I do it right now. Then they call me this hamstring tight. I don't know what I have for you. How much money would it take though to be on uh, on layaway or what? However you would call it, would it be layaway? Yeah, New York Jets. Yeah, New York Jets call you. Joe Douglas calls and says, "Hey, Tory, we want you to be our Josh McCown." No, because it really might happen. Like you see, you're looking at <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like them right now, like think about it. If I was on that on the Josh McCown plan in Philly or in New York, I would be there right now. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear you. I mean, like, I'm very happy retired though, so I don't know, and I, you are too, but I just don't know what it would take to get me off the couch. I'd rather just get off the couch and go play than somebody call me and be like, "Hey, you have to be ready to play if we call." See that fear, the unknown. See, it would be jokes on them. Because I would for sure say yes, and then I'll get that call like, ah, I don't know, it's back a little tight. It's yeah, out. and there's no way they can they can litigate injuries around the household. <laughs> yeah, and we'll cut this part to maintain both of your negotiating leverage. Yes, for sure. Yeah. We don't, yeah, we should <laughs> cut this because, well, we never threw out a number. So that's good. We're still in the clear. Yeah. How about your guy Cam Newton, man? Like... You got to play with him in Carolina. We've talked about him before. He's such an intriguing person to me, as well as a player. People didn't know how this this experiment would go in New England. How does it look like it's going knowing Cam? I mean, like, is it better than you thought it would, would be? It's way better than yeah. I thought it would be. And it has absolutely nothing to do with football. Yeah. Everyone knows that when Cam is healthy, he's arguably the best player in the NFL. So that's not really a debate. But what we didn't know was that Bill Belichick would allow him to have Kirk Franklin playing at practice and allowing him to dance around in right. warm and bring that type of energy. That's what the outsiders, like myself, you're on the inside. You may know a little different, Bill, than I know. But that's the thing that I didn't really anticipate or expect, which for Cam, Cam is loose. Cam is fun. Cam is full of energy. So when you're that type of person naturally and you go into a place where they try to harness that and, like, Dim your light. Right. Like, what better term? Like, that could be tough for people. So he's allowing him to be himself, and he's going out there, he's having fun, and he's balling. Yeah, he looks like he's having fun. I think uh, the big test for everybody there is going to be, obviously, that first loss. And I don't know when that's going to happen. We just talked about uh, – or we're, we're, we're going to talk about that Vegas-New uh, England game here in a bit. I, I was really excited to see them let him throw the ball downfield a little bit more uh, against Seattle because – I had heard things out of that camp that they weren't sure about his arm, you know, and the deep balls and that sort of thing. 
Do you think he can live taking shots for the next four to five years in the NFL as a as a deep ball thrower, or is there going to be? Did you know in your time in Carolina that maybe the arm's not what it once was? Yeah, I think his, his arm isn't quite as strong as it was before, but you don't have to throw the ball 70 yards down the field to have an impact, you know, as a quarterback on the deep ball. I mean, there's some quarterbacks that start in this league that have pop gun arms. Right. You know, all you have to do is have the right kind of timing and get the ball up. You know, most passes aren't, even deep balls, they aren't really traveling more than 50 yards in the air anyway. So, you know, it's important for people to understand that and, he has the ability, and he flashed it, you know, uh, hitting Edelman up the scene. Yeah. That was a big time throw. I was excited because that, to me, was like, man, his arm is fine. Same. Fine yeah. it, and he just let it roll. Yeah, that was a good sign. Is there is there one route where where with – like, you, you've caught balls from a bunch of quarterbacks. Like, is there one, one throw, and is it the seam throw, that you're like, that's the one. That's the one that if you make that throw – I know you've got it. Like, or is it something outside the numbers? For sure. I think anything that tests you, like your velocity. So when it's a seam and a bullet, when you have to get that timing in and fit into that window, everything isn't about, like sometimes your, your clock is off and you have to muscle it in there. You know, he's shown that he's been able to do that on a few throws. And also the deep ball, you know, your timing of it. Can you get it out there? And like, that wasn't on schedule. Right. You know? He threw that off schedule with his timing, and he hit him, you know, right in his chest. So, I mean, that's big time, and you have to feel excited if you're a Patriots fan. Let's start the Sixer. Everybody knows the story by now, but I'll refresh your memory. Yeah. L.A. team doctor accidentally punctures quarterback Tyrod Taylor's lung just before kickoff Sunday while trying to administer a pain-killing injection to the quarterback's cracked ribs said Coach Anthony Lynn. Tori, have you ever heard of such a thing? Man, these doctors are ass, man. I'm not surprised about <laughs> that happens. You know, like, it's – I'm sure there's any risk with any kind of pain injection or whatnot, but it's not every day that your lung gets punctured. And when you're not aware, made aware that that's a possibility, you know, oftentimes when you go in, it's like, what's wrong? okay. This can fix that. Here you go. It's not like they're not like, hey, if you get this, you can get this is lung. what could happen. Yeah. No, it's like this is what you need to go. Cool. You know, I don't know if it's that's just because that's the way it's been, but you know the 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 TA uh, Targers mm-hmm. <laughs> would be the team name. I think if I was Tyrod by the mm-hmm. time, done, you know, because it's health. You don't know what that's going to mean to him long term. Uh, hopefully he's fine. You know, that's one of my best friends. So I talk to him all the time. Yeah. He's doing, he's doing fine. But you know, that's something like who would have known what could have happened to him and the way it happened. You know, he was going to play. Yeah, he was going to play. This was the doctor's fault, and you know, we see crazy things like this happen. You know, it does make you, you know, think a little bit of, of the times where maybe you yourself, and I'm talking about me, and I'm sure you probably feel the same. But we like, man, maybe you do, do take for granted how routine certain things can be. I agree with you. I, I, I think I think as a player, I felt like people on the outside who don't get it were so up in arms. But a lot of times, fans don't know what they're up in arms about. I, a lot of them were like, "Really, we're just shooting up players in the ribs and that sort of thing." Or like, "Yeah, it happens all the time." And most times, you know, I've been shot up thirty times in my career, different parts of my body. I shot up my ankle for a whole year. Shot up my hand for a whole year. But that's not my 
my my lungs like there aren't vital organs around those places so you're right i don't know if tyrod knew you know what the ramifications of a missed needle could be you know missing the spot when i i texted a doctor i trust about this he said the innervation of the ribs is on the lower surface of each one if the doc was trying to hit the nerves he probably pushed the needle under the rib deep and punctured the lining around the lung which is what happened the environmental pressure is higher than the pressure in the chest of the lung was dropped suffice to say it's not an easy job being a doctor in the nfl i get that but that is your job and when you fuck it up uh it's not like fucking up a missed coverage like like you can you can ruin somebody you can i mean luckily it doesn't sound like he's got long lasting effects from this and maybe he'll be back soon but it explains why Anthony Lynn was gung-ho on the whole thing earlier this week. At first, and you probably knew more than me right off the bat because you know him well, I was kind of like, why Why is he so standing on the table that Tyrod's going to start no matter what? Well, it's because I can't take a guy's job from him uh, because my doctor's engaged in unintentional malpractice. You just can't take somebody's job that way. I mean, you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, it happens all the time, right? That's the irony of it is that plenty of doctors fuck up. Uh, and, well, I wouldn't call it a fuck up when a doctor feeds you an improper diagnosis or tries to get you out on the field too quick a timetable. That's malpractice, and that's there's there's ill intent behind that. There's like we're hiding things from the player. We're stopping you from getting a second opinion, that sort of thing. Like, And we've both had situations like that happen in our career. This was a mistake. Tyrod and the doctor had the same goal. I want to numb the pain. You broke a rib the first drive against Cincinnati. Let's just get it right. And they messed it up. Yeah, they messed it up, and I get it. Um, you know, shout out to the new owner of the Chargers, Tyrod Taylor, man. My boy's feeling good. And- <laughs> hey, Tori, have you, have you ever heard anybody call Tyrod Tyrod? Yeah. That's what we've been struggling with on this show, and I played against Tyrod for – his mom. Yeah. His mom. Apparently, it's his mom. Okay. Okay. And so is she the go. only one? She's the only one. I'll be. I'll hear her say it, and I'm literally like Tyrod. <laughs> that, that clears things okay. up. But Perfect. I will say, Tori, you never had anybody miss anything on you, like with a shot. No, I've never really had that. I've had. Uh, I mean, probably the worst thing that I've had is I had my knee. So, like, I I don't know what they call. It. Either way, they had to shoot up my knee for knee pain. Like, it was right. a shot. They didn't know what it was. It was on the outside. It wasn't behind. It wasn't like behind your kneecap or anything like that. I've kind of had afterwards in Carolina. Um, and so they shot it up. And so they wrapped my knee and I went to go warm up to make sure that everything was straight, like to see if I was fine to play. Well, I came in from warming up pregame. This is no pad. So the warm up when you're out there in shorts and they've already decided like who's up, who's down. Right. So I look fine. I passed that test. I came in, I sat down, and my knee was bigger than my thigh. And like they, bad sign. Yeah. What happened? Like, I don't know, it was a reaction, I don't know if it was the medicine or what, but um, you know, it wasn't right. And so uh that was probably the biggest thing I've had. You know, I've seen guys who've been uh diagnosed with wrong injuries. I mean, myself, I tore my knee in Carolina and they tried to tell me just let it rest for a week and see what happens. And my knee was literally catching. When I'm asleep, and I say catching, I mean like you walk and they go. Yeah, I yep. have to push it to get by it. Right. 
like, y'all aren't going to sit here and tell me. I'm like, I need an MRI. Like, I had to force them to give me an MRI because they just thought that it was going to be swelling and it would just go down. And that happens all the time. You know, it was the same case for Cam. Like, yeah. Cam, Cam was hurt in New England in the preseason game. Right. The preseason game last year. Or so, I mean, it happens all the time to see guys like more so misdiagnosed with things. You don't really see guys get their lungs punctured every day. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like people are mad and they don't trust NFL doctors. Those things, you know, those are very justified emotions and reactions. But just realize that it's not like the doctor intentionally fucked this up or he would, there was, he was being clandestine here. Like Tyrod asked for a shot. The doctor tried to stick him in a tough place to stick him and he messed it up. And probably once a week, somebody gets shot in the rib. So this stuff, like this stuff gets done smoothly all the time. And it's the stuff that we should reserve our, our like our very righteous outrage for doctors that are lying to players, which happens way more than this happens. That's the criminal offense. <laughs> yeah. And it happens on the regular. So we'll see. I mean, uh, it should be interesting if, if Justin Herbert goes out and plays really well this weekend, that's going to be a predicament for Anthony Lynn. Um, and he could because Carolina defensively is is it's rough. Darren Waller, eighteen for one forty eight and a TD in yes. Vegas. That's third amongst tight ends. Passes the eye test. It sure does look like Tory. Where do you have him ranked as far as tight ends in the game right now? Having top five now. You know, we think of what he's capable of athletically. In terms of his natural gifts, he's probably the most athletic tight end in the league because the guy was a receiver, right? <laughs> he's a converted tight end. So, you know, he, he wasn't naturally that way. He was a big receiver. And so uh, he's top five athletically. I still have George Kittle at number one, uh, Travis Kelsey at two, Zach Ertz at three, and then Mark Andrews at four. So I think Darren Waller is right there. He's on the fringe, and he has a lot of talent. I'm proud of him. You know, a lot of people should know his story. You know, how he's grown over the years. He's a great example of an individual that took advantage of a second opportunity. And he's out there balling, man. If I had one wish, it might be to see him get an entire career of being locked in and healthy. And just, like, I think the guy's got, as we, we see, and, you know, Hall of Fame potential physically is one thing. Uh, but to bear it out over a career is another. And we'll never get to see, you know, years one through six uh, locked in for this guy, but I've got him at number one right now with George Kittle on the sideline. I'm yeah. being overreactive. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I'm just going to say this, like look at the other tight ends that we're talking about here. The best in the league Gronk, no longer one of those guys. Um, Kelsey, who's still terrific and was a safety valve for Pat last week, uh, but doesn't want to block anybody, and I understand that. Uh, Ertz, who's had a tough year. Contract talks, our guy. Goddard. Uh, Goddard emerging. Not really that much of a blocker. Darren Waller uh, at least likes to get his nose dirty and to me is the most athletic and the most gifted of all the guys we've just talked about, and that includes Kelsey. Kelsey's more explosive, maybe like more of a, you know, I could, I could break you off a 40 yard yard run after the catch type of thing. I think Waller kind of reminds me of one of these basketball builds that just bullies smaller defenders in the second level, like a la a Gronk minus the blocking ability. 
Like he's he's built that way. He's just a giant out there. He's Kelsey's a tall guy, but he's not a giant. And Waller to me seems just physically right now with Kittle on the sideline with an injury, the number two guy in the league, the number one guy that's going to be playing this Sunday. You're going to dethrone all of those Pro Bowl players two games into the season. Yes, I am, because we're talking about right now. I'm not saying that, like, I'm just asking you, if you had to take a tight end on Sunday to play, who are you taking over Darren Waller? Right now, the way he's playing, he's playing like the best guy in the league with Kittle on the sideline. And the numbers bear that out. 30, 38% of target share, 18 receptions, uh, which is what? First? Uh, 87 yards after the catch, first. Um, 11 first downs, that's first. And who's zero he, drops. Who's he competing with? Travis Kelsey is still competing with three monsters at receiver. Oh, come on. Listen, you don't know this yet, but Brian Edwards is going to be a fucking Hall of Famer out there in Las Vegas. The kid from South Carolina is ridiculous. Ruggs is stretching the field. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is showing up out there. Shout out to Nelly. Yeah, shout out to Nelly. How great is that? I don't want to be like over overreactive guy, and maybe I am, but at this <laughs> point right now, if I had to suit somebody up on Sunday to play tight end for me, it's going to be Darren Waller. That's fair. Yeah, as long as Kittle's on the sideline. Um <laughs> And another interesting thing about these tight ends, it felt like the like Monday night felt like a confirmation. Like everybody knew Darren Waller was really good last year. Like we we kind of knew, like guys who pay attention to football, but a national stage against a really a powerhouse type team to have that type of night, it was like his coming out party. And if you think about Gronk, if you think about Kittle, if you think about Kelsey to a degree, and even Ertz, who was picked like 35th. These guys kind of came out of nowhere. Tight ends rise to stardom in weird, weird ways. I mean, before Aaron Hernandez did that stuff, people thought Aaron Hernandez was going to be the tight end, you know, the legendary talent in New England, not Gronk. So the way these guys rise to stardom is really interesting. And I think this is, we're watching it unfold before our eyes. He's the next generation for the next five, seven years if he can stay healthy. Uh, I, I agree with it, and again, I'm I'm a big fan of him, a big cheerleader for him. When you see guys you know, turn this thing around and his natural ability just shine, it's like an, another Alden Smith story. You got Mark Andrews ahead of him. Sounds like sure. it sounds like home cooking. At home cooking, I get to see that game up front in person every week. The man uh-huh. gets all every play. He's <laughs> he's awesome. I love him, and I hate doing the the like the ranking thing. And even though I just set it up for you to do the ranking thing, but because of something like this, like Mark Mark Andrews is great. Darren Waller is just an alien to me. Um, Athletically, is no question. Yeah, right? I think yeah. Waller hands down, but Mark Andrews is probably going to have a thousand touchdowns this year. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Everybody feels like everybody out there is going to have a thousand touchdowns this year. Drew Brees, and I quote. You know, one of the statistics that was thrown out after the game was the yards per attempt or something like that. There are many stats I do not pay one bit of attention to, and that would be one of them. Tori, beginning of the end for Drew Brees, or is he just missing can't guard Mike? They're struggling right now. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is. You know, again, I, I'm trying to be the guy that's like, now listen, you know what it's like to be two weeks into the season. You haven't really found your footing yet. There's some people that start off hot and they stank it up towards the middle of the year. I like to remind people I was in San Francisco and we were terrible for two years. 
But the first game of the year, we blew out the Rams two years in a row. And we like, yeah, we are on. We are rolling. This offense is going to be crazy. And then we do it, didn't do anything else. Right. So when you look at a team like that with Drew Brees and knowing what he's capable of, you know, can't guard Mike is obviously a big deal, you know, when it comes to that offense and the timing and someone that he can just go to. But Drew Brees is Drew Brees. You know, he's built on – the offense is built on timing and him getting the ball out. He's never been one to really have to have one monster receiver to be successful. So, you know, protect him, and I think everything else will come. Listen – there was a Jeff Duncan article from August in The Athletic that made it sound like he was going to have his best offseason ever, like putting on lower body mass, working with a trainer that had surfboards and lacrosse balls and all types of stretchy bands and all this, like, you know, he was in California throwing the ball 50 yards. Emmanuel Sanders was saying, this guy doesn't look 42, 43. That's part of the reason I wonder if this is an, an acute injury that we're overreacting to. A lot of times guys get dinged in the preseason. They don't have to report it. And, you know, there's no preseason here, but maybe in camp he tweaks something. I think this weekend's going to be big to tell me, you know, where he's at from an arm strength standpoint. He's never been a guy who's had a cannon. Uh, but, you know, some of the throws we saw the other night, average air pass gone 4.82 yards this season. It's the lowest through two games as a member of uh, the Saints, period. The lowest in the league since Favre in 2009. So it's bad. Whatever it is, it's bad. The pick in the second quarter the other night where he threw the ball right to that um, was a low-hole player right there sitting in the middle of the field. I don't know if it was a black jersey on the black logo. It was. that that It was like trickery. But even if he didn't see the guy, the ball was well underthrown. You know, it, 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 just, it just doesn't look right. And I would say if I had to guess, this does look like Kind of the beginning of the end for him. If it was somebody that had a big cannon of an arm and this looked like this, it'd be a huge outlier. But to to me, it just looks like he's just taking a step back. And at the end of your career, physically, especially when you weren't like a really talented player physically, little drop-offs can be huge because that's what you've gotten by on. You know, you, you, yeah. were, you were already at a 3 out of 10 arm, arm strength-wise a one-point deduction is way more severe for him than it is for Cam Newton. And that's what a perfect example is Peyton Manning. Perfect. You know, in his career, those are quarterbacks who relied on timing. Their arm talent, while they throw some of the prettiest deep balls you will see, they've never been one to get it a mile down the field or have the arm strength to muscle things. And that's why their interceptions oftentimes are terrible because like, the guy is just right in the spot where they anticipate them being. That's also part of their greatness at right. the same time. You know, that's why they were able to play as long because they're so smart. But when those things kind of start to go, it can be trouble. Who threw you the best deep ball in your career? Flacco. No pause there. Yeah, but your favorite deep ball you ever caught, was that the one on the sideline in the NFC Championship game? But that was uh, the flea flicker. That's like backyard, like, hey, go here. Uh, give him a little something and go. The best part about the flea flicker that we don't talk about is I was supposed to stutter and run a post. Like, I. So why? So why did you run the go? Because the safety was in the middle of the field. Like, what am I going to run and be covered for? Like, I just gave him a move and went straight down the field. That's amazing. I did not know that. And and it was it was a thing of beauty. But you said without without hesitation, it was Flacco body of work. 
deep ball after deep ball. Yeah, I mean, because it was just the the timing of it. Like, Nick Foles has a, a great one as well. Um, but it's because they throw to a spot. You know, right. it has a lot of air. They throw it to a spot. So oftentimes, guys that kind of measure or it's a little – it doesn't have as much arc, and it's a lot harder to track. But, you know, Colin Kaepernick, you know, when he put some air on it, he threw a pretty one as well. Who threw the ball that if it was cold out, it hurt your hands? Cap throws the hardest ball I've ever caught in my life. Really? Like baseball. Like 99 miles per hour. Really? But the, so the issues that uh, Peyton Manning and Drew Brees have, Kaepernick right now, who should be playing, would not have those issues. No, we agree. I mean, he definitely should be playing. A million miles an hour. The Denver, Denver not, not taking a hard look at him kind of cemented it for me that, like, it's just not going to happen. Oh, it's not going to happen. No. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately. Two years ago. So... I was about to ask why you're throwing shade on all your Maryland quarterbacks, but then I realized I didn't recognize any of their names when, <laughs> when Tory was in College Park, so I couldn't even come up with a starter. Yeah, he did leave the Maryland quarterbacks off this thing. Chris Turner. Yeah. yeah uh, Jamar Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Napo- the, shout out to our boy, Napoleon That's Dynamo. the guy you sacked in the uh, Yeah, in the end safety. zone when we beat them at Bird. Yeah. Yeah, that was One fun. of a few. Yeah. His body might still be there. <laughs> <laughs> we got to have him on the pod one time so we can, like, have a conversation. We should. We should talk about the glory days that have never come back. The glory days. Tori, there are 11 2-0 teams and 11 0-2 teams. Which is your worst unbeaten team? in your best winless team? The worst unbeaten team is the Chicago Bears. We agree. Yeah, see, that's great minds think alike. Yeah, I, just, I feel like there's a lot of great minds out there on this one. I was kind of scanning and I was like, yeah, this seems obvious to me. I mean, the team that they beat that put them on the radar this year was a team they played well against routinely. Even Mitch Trubisky has had good numbers against the Lions. And if you're going to make your hay with 17-point comebacks in the fourth, that's just not going to happen much. Not, and they should have lost. The running back dropped the ball right in the back of the uh, That hurts. I, I hurt for him. Yeah. But that was with seconds left in the game, it's a done deal. Um, but then I just don't – you know, Mr. Mr. Trubisky, I'm happy for him. Yeah, me too. Know? I love when a guy, you know, proves everyone wrong. You know, I guess I'd be considered a hater right now for even what I'm about to say. But when you talk about a team that's actually has a chance to go far, I'm not sold on them. I don't believe this is 2000 where you can just win with a great defense. Um, you can be able to score. And you have, you're in a division with Aaron Rodgers, you know, playing like a 21-year-old kid. You know, you're going to have to be able to put up some points. And I'm just not sure if they can match that firepower offensively. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I, I'll go first on the worst uh, or the best 0-2. Um it's the Texans or the Eagles. Drum roll, it's the Texans. Uh, the Texans by virtue of who they've played. I mean, like, it'd just be unfair to give them, to kind of come to a conclusion on that team. You know, playing two of the AFC's best right off the ga- out of the gate. And I know we've got all this negativity surrounding Bill and D-Hop. I just need to see a little bit more out of Deshaun. I know he's, he, the O-line's got him under siege, but... He's got to be the one. It's just tough shit. It's kind of like last year with 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 Carson throwing to nobody. Like he's got to he he's got to find a way to push the ball down the field. I don't know how he does it, 
but he's got to. And I think they're the, they're the best 0 2 team, and I wouldn't count them out just yet. Great minds think alike. I think that's clear. They play arguably the two best teams in the NFL. So, I mean, <laughs> that's not the right the way you want to start the season. I'm sure they went in looking at that schedule like, yeah. We're going to set the tone right now. I don't know if anybody was looking at it like that. Maybe you were, but like if, if, if it was, if it was me in that locker room, knowing like, I'd be like, damn, we got to get out of this thing. One and two out of the first three weeks, just being real. Like that they've got a shot in the second half of the season to, to, to make up some ground. And that, that division is, is all over the place. Do you think they can do it with the set of receivers they've got? Can Will Fuller kind of be that guy for them? The thing is, like, people kind of get caught up in having, like, one big dog, like, monster receiver or, like, like say, the number one receiver. Look at the teams who won the Super Bowl as of late. It's tend to be by committee. People mm-hmm. have the way they play, and the offense is more efficient that way. I mean, I've been a member of two of those teams, right? right. With myself and Anquan Bolden, you know, I would always say that, you know, he's the number one guy. But, you know, I would draw the top corner – you know, the majority of the time and our targets really weren't that far apart. Right. You, know, I, I, you know, my role was big play. He was constantly more so handled the middle and, you know, ran his stuff over the top. But, you know, we look at the Patriots and what they've done, you know, who are their receivers? Julian Edelman is a, a great receiver, but you wouldn't say, you know, he's like Randy Moss. or right. Those guys, he's an excellent receiver. Right. You know, when people are able to win by committee, and so I think they had that. They have guys who can get open. You got to have a lot of speed there. You know, it doesn't matter who you have if you're on your back watching right. the game. You have to be able to protect them. And if not, they're going to have to adjust their offense to get the ball out of his hands a little quick. What's playing receiver for a guy like Deshaun Watson? Is everything a scramble drill? Is that in the back of your head? I mean, you, you just stay ready. You know, Deshaun Watson is in the same mode as Carson Wentz. You know, in the same mode as Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. Right? those are guys that are athletic you know they're not just people that you're like oh they're sneaky athletic as people like to say like right. oh, they're, really, they're athletic they can run so when you're running down the field you know you, you have to be prepared at all times a review of the turf monster at metlife was held on wednesday and it was verified that the field meets all applicable standards and protocols for nfl field surfaces and yet for the Niners, Bosa goes down, Garoppolo, Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Solomon Thomas. Fellas, Tori, talk to us about janky turf, how, how one field turf can differ from another. Uh, some, some fields are lumpy, you know. Uh, some fields are harder. I think of a place like in Houston, they like roll there. There's this grass, actually. So there's some terrible grass fields as well. So let's not just compare this. What was to- the worst grass field to you? Chicago. Chicago. Oh, yeah. Chicago, too. And late in the year. Yeah. It's like you're trying to, you ever hiked up, try to hike up a mountain? Yeah, I did it yesterday. Yeah. That's what it looks like trying to play in a football field. There's lumpy. Yeah. It's not, you may take a step and take a whole, a whole patch of grass just slides with you. I mean, there's some terrible fields, especially later in the year. How about you skill guys? You always, the coach always has to come back in at halftime and be like, Get your seven studs on for the people listening. Those are like the screwing cleats. The me- they're, they're not metal, but they're not like the little molded spikes. They're not baseball cleats, but they're longer and they dig into the grass. And whenever we'd get a warning, like say we'd go play Green Bay or Chicago or Pittsburgh, 
It was always the wideouts and the DBs that wouldn't change their fucking cleats, and it was always some young corner that fu- that fell down, and Aaron burns us for you know a big touchdown. Why is it that the fast guys don't want to just take their medicine? Because you get stuck in the ground. Like it works. So if you're in the trenches, like you, you want to anchor down, right? Yeah. For real guy, you want to get out. So there's sometimes you're playing, you feel like it's taking all of your body. You're leaning, like trying to, yeah. you know down because it's it's stuck in that ground and like i said you'll take everything with you anquan bolden is the person that the first person that tell me man you don't need those seven studs just go and and stick with your fundamentals yeah but the the linemen definitely do to your point i mean like you play in chicago and take a base block on it and literally be sliding backwards on film just without your feet moving the ground you just be sliding um if you were a san francisco 49er and you're taking the field this weekend, knowing what they've said out of their camp, how much does that play into the mental game? You just try your best not to complain about the field. I, I just, I hate turf in general. You know, for those who aren't familiar with turf, it has those little black beads, it's hot, it burns when it's warm, and uh, you also get burns if you fall on it. Yeah. It doesn't, but playing on turf, my knees would swell every time because it's a hard surface. And when it's great when you're cut, there's sometimes you're like, man, I feel really good when I cut. Like it felt good, it looked good. And then there's other times when there's bodies around and your knee gets caught, you know, you it, it plays against you. You know, and I think that's what you saw in that game. You know, that turf, you know, for as, as much as we dislike it because it's hard, when your foot's there and it gets stuck, and if your body isn't in the right position, that's why you see a lot of guys who tear things and uh, there are a lot of terrible turf fields. And I'm not a fan of turf, so when they complain about it, I'm like, ah, there's a lot of other turf fields you can complain about, but that's just turf in general. And sometimes it's that bad luck. Yeah, it sounds like they like maybe overdid the BBs because they hadn't, you know, they hadn't done a refresh on that field, so to speak, since 2013. It's a funny time to do it right before the year because, you know, the field breaks in by people playing on it. I don't know, man. I, I think every... When I was in free agency towards the end of my career, I would literally factor in, especially with Philly. Part of the decision to go play in Philly was they play on grass. When we play in Washington, it's grass. You know, that's, I'm looking at the schedule one of the years. I think we played on natural grass 10 times. When I was in St. Louis, you know, you were on turf all the time, and it sucked, dude. Like, you really look at that as you get older. You look at the schedule card and say, how many times am I on natural grass this year? To your point, a lot of fans don't think about it, more speed is definitely, it's not necessarily a good trade-off to, you know, your joints swelling up all the time. That's why we used to get pissed at coaches when we'd be like, hey, why are we practicing on the turf field? Why do we have to go inside? I used to get mad at Doug. We used to go inside, like, and to some players who don't like to be out in the cold, especially younger guys, they're like, yeah, we get to go inside. It's not going to be raining, this, that, and third. I'm worried about how I'm going to feel tomorrow. I'm in the same boat, but I hate cold too. So, yeah, so it even things out for you. <laughs> well, I, late, December, late December, January hits. I'm like, man, the field's hard anyway, so I might as well be in there in the heat. Yeah, we're gonna get through this. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. But if yeah, no doubt. Va- vacuum it. Yeah, vacuum it. Just vacuum it. That's a good idea. Yeah, we should put you on a grounds crew. Hey, Deion Sanders, head ball coach. Yeah, Jackson State. He put uh, Terrell Owens and Warren Sapp on his fake staff. <laughs> uh, yeah, bro. Like, like I don't know how they screwed that story up, but evidently they really just took a lot of liberties. Sounded yeah. good. Sounded real good. Who who's on y'all's fantasy staff? And you can only pick. Uh, you can only pick 
you know, former teammates, I guess. Okay. So who's your OC? Shoot, I didn't. I guess I need an OC. Sam the Ram. You should. Huh? You go first. My OC is Thad Lewis. Wow. I played with Thad. Yeah, former Duke guy. We can both agree that we hate Duke. Yep. Um, But former Duke guy, he's one of the smartest players that I've been around Um, as a quarterback and just as a leader and the way he communicated things and how, you know, he would make sure that you were on the right page in terms of understanding what they wanted to see from their perspective and make sure we were bringing it. He was just a great communicator. So I'm not surprised that he's coaching now and he's doing well in that. So that would be my OC. Uh, my defensive coordinator would be Ed Reed. Oh, wow. Student of the game. You know, the way he plays, his vision, um, his, the way he communicates as well. That's a common theme for me. Like, I have some coaches who are great coaches, but they don't know how to talk to you. Right. So it means a lot to have a coach that knows, you know, how to communicate as well and explain what he sees. Uh, my linebacker coach would be Ray Lewis. You know, linebacker coaches, sometimes they're normally the craziest guys on defense. So you go ahead and get Ray in there. Uh, his, the, what, the things that he communicated and the things that you would see out of him were special. I remember being in practice and you would hear Ray yell like bird, bird, or rabbit, rabbit, meaning run or pass. And it's because he had a tip on somebody, whether it was the offensive lineman stance or their splits or whatever it was. And he will be right a lot of the time. So get that guy as my linebackers coach. Um, my D-line coach would be Terrell Suggs. You got to have that one coach that's just goofy. The trend. And, uh, it's just all Hall of Famers from the Ravens. Yeah. I have, I have a oh, – basically. And I got another one following him. But you got to have a guy that can play ball. Uh, Suggs played around well. And uh, obviously he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And then Anquan Bowles, my receiver coach. You know, I was – I was torn between Steve Smith and Anquan oh, Tough decisions. <laughs> but, but, you know, I don't have to worry about uh, – Steve will probably beat up the player for not doing what he wants. So, I got <laughs> Anquan as my receiver coach. And then uh, my running backs coach would be Ricky Woods. Oh, man. Uh, that's going to be a very loud position room, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Ricky Williams was the, <laughs> Ricky Williams was the coolest dude, like – to play with because I, I was I don't know if you ever had this feeling because you know you were big dog when it comes to being pig yeah but when Ricky Williams walked in the locker room when I was a rookie I was like oh, this, is, this dude just was in a retreat getting high <laughs> <laughs> and he's in here like this is hey like- dude I'm not gonna lie I had a moment where and this is a guy that I forget that was even on the team because in St. Louis, everybody was on the way out. I mean, it was like where you had your great career and then you got your last check. Dante Hall, you know, uh, Dante Hall was in Lil Wayne lyrics. Uh, you know, like when I was coming out of, 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 uh, college and Lil Wayne was the man and I love Dante Hall. So it was just seeing that guy walk in the locker room. It was like, he had an aura around him and he's not the biggest guy in the world either. That was a little bit of a shock to me. I knew he was small, but I had no idea. Who do you have uh, to round out your staff here? Round out my staff. Uh, I mean, basically that was my DBs, my running backs. Who I forget. Who's going to be your strength coach? Curveball. Eugene Monroe. Eugene Monroe. Wahoo wah. Hey, yeah, you gotta have, have you seen him lately? 
He lives up the street from me. That's my neighbor. Are you guys your neighbors? Yeah, but oh. I would never work out with him. Yeah, no, because he's a bodybuilder. He works he works out four times a day. He will literally drive by on his bike, pull up at the house, and be like, yeah. <laughs> Dude. Like he he works like I haven't fell in love with fitness like he has. No. Like I'm like, I have to motivate myself, like, bro, I get out of bed, I work out, and I'm like, man, listen. It's hard for me. Like, it's different. You're working out like, hey, we're going to win. I'm trying to grind. I'm trying to be the best. I'm trying to go to Pro Bowl. I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. Da, 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 da. Now I'm just like, man, I'm just trying not to have diabetes. <laughs> like, that's not, it doesn't motivate me enough. So, like, working out isn't, like, fun. You know what I mean? So, diabetes is less scary than making, not making the Pro Bowl or not. I, like, I look at myself and I'm like, man, I'm not in bad shape. Like, I no, that's the most fucked up thing. And, and I thought that I'd be, Cause I love working out and I used to love to grind and that sort of thing. But now it's just like, to your point earlier, this job takes so much studying. I don't have time. And I got two kids and now I can't be like for 11 years, I worked out for a living. Now I can't be like, Hey babe, I'm going to go get an hour and a half in, in the gym, like around dinner time when the, so I'm right there with you. I'm getting awful soft in retirement. I'm going to go my OC. I guess it's gotta be a backup quarterback, right? That's kind of like the, the thing. Because Nick Foles is going to be my quarterback's coach. Mm. And, and I don't know, can my QB coach be the OC? Sure. Okay, then Nick Foles is my fucking OC. You have any yeah. Super Bowl MVPs as your coordinators? You? Do well, you? Uh, no, I have one as a linebacker coach. Yeah, but he's not a coordinator, I'm just saying. And your team's already <laughs> set in stone, so one nothing us. Um, That's enormous. It is a big pick for me. That's a fucking big pick. Big. And <laughs> who's not going to listen to a Super Bowl MVP? Like, no one's not going to listen to Nick Foles. I, and I, you, I, I might not. Why because not? Because I was fortunate enough to hang out with Nick yeah. and you after that game. He's the nicest guy in the world. See, this is the thing, though. You, you respect Nick because... I think Nick would set a standard and like having been coached, I prefer a guy like I'm a self-starter. You're a self-starter. Most guys in the NFL are. The asshole coaches for, are for the guys that aren't self-starters. And, you know, if you're in a quarterback room, it's not so much about screaming at a quarterback. It's about teaching the position to me at least. And I think he teaches the position really well. He's got Frank and Doug in his history. He's got some Chip Kelly, you know, the Andy Reid tree. You know, he's out there with Nagy. Like, he, he picks up a lot of stuff and remembers a lot of stuff. I'll go Nick Foles at quarterback and coordinator. Running backs coach. Man, I wish I could just pluck Deuce. It's not like I played with Deuce, but it felt like we played with Deuce. He was like one of the guys. I'll go Steven Jackson, though. It's... It, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to keep up with the arms race that you're in recruiting. You got to think about recruiting here. Steven Jackson in your living room. Who's that dude? Yes, sir. Yes, <laughs> sir. I'll commit. Like, no problem. Uh, I'll go Steven Jackson running back. Wide receiver, I'll go Julian Edelman because he dips like an NFL coach already. Guy's always got a lip in. And I could just see him in a polo. If Hollywood doesn't work out for him, he's going to be my wide receiver coach. Say something in your Jules voice, recruiting a kid. Listen, bubs. We shit out of luck. You don't come play with us, bubs. Perfect. I play with Tom Brady. All right. I'll go, I'll go uh, linebackers Dante Hightower, one of the best leaders I've been around, and he can be the DC as well. 
actually, so that we can have more people on the staff, we'll go DC, Dante, and then linebacker coach James Laronitis. Yeah, that's the staff right there on on uh, on defense. Uh, well, Aaron Donald. No, nah, my I'm talking about. I was talking about linebackers. Uh, my D line coach is the next coaches, bro. Like we just said one. We didn't say a whole like. What do you mean? You just filled out your whole staff. I just said coordinators in one position, coach. You over here getting assistance. To, oh to, to, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Special teams, Matt Slater. How about that? Matt Slater, one of the best special teams players of all time, one of the most important special teams players of all time, and one of the best teams of all time, a terrific leader. Uh, yeah, I, f- I feel pretty stacked there. D coordinator Dante Hightower, offensive coordinator Nick Foles. Give me that team all day over your solid, team. Yeah. Solid. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. We, have a, we have a good team, but it's not like my all-star cats. Yeah. It's not really fair. You played for the Ravens when they were really good. Uh, I have less to choose from. Let me, uh, let's do translator and get Tori out of here real quick. I like this one. Bruce Arians talking about Gronk quote. We haven't had that many red zone opportunities. and I don't see him running 40 yards past people anymore. We brought him in to play tight end. If that means no catches, it means no catches. What do you think he means by all that? He wants Gronk to get the ball more and to be involved. I mean, he he he's, he took a knock at the speed. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a subtle knock. He, he's trying to lower the expectations, the outward expectations, but he knows inside what he wants from Gronk. I wonder if part of it is because I'm I know Arians has always been a straight shooter and like to his detriment at times, and he shot straight at Tom week one. I almost feel like a tinge of resentfulness a little bit. I don't know if it's like. Dude, I literally brought this guy down here because Tom wanted a roommate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I and and he's and Tom, you told me he was still fast. You told me he was in good shape. You told me he was locked in, and maybe he is all those things, but I don't think people realize, and Bruce should have realized this. It's hard to come out of retirement a year and a half out of the game. I mean, like, I don't care if you're one of the best to ever do it, and I think he's the best tight end to ever ever play, but you take that break. It's tough getting back on the horse. I kind of feel like he's a little bit irritated. Yeah, I mean, when you, I mean, I don't think the offense is clicking the way they pictured it right away. So, as expected, in my opinion, yeah. they didn't have a season together. So, yeah. they'll tell them by the time, I mean, right now that division is wide open. So, they're right where they want to be. Kirk Cousins says the urgency's there. We just need the production to go with it. What does that mean, Tory Smith? I don't know what he's talking about. That is, is a, what? The urgency is there, but the product. You're trying, but uh, we're, we're trying. And no, you know what this means? This means, believe it or not, we're trying not to suck. I know we suck all the ass, but like, we're not trying to suck all the ass. We just are like, we're a, a bunch of guys who are scared shitless right now. You don't think anybody's trying harder than the Minnesota Vikings. They're trying really hard right now and they're not very good. And that's the problem is when you're on a bad team, week two, week three with expectations, reporters ask questions like, like, like you have an answer. If you had an answer, you'd go apply it already. Yeah. But reporters really ask stupid questions in general. I don't think we talk about that enough because <laughs> How many times after a loss has a reporter come to you and say, 
So what happened? What happened? I don't know. What do you mean what happened? You saw what happened. They beat us. They whooped us. Like, what you mean? Also, I hate when people get mad at, at players about not knowing what happened. Things are moving 100 miles an hour, and you're worrying about yourself. I can't tell you. You're looking for a player. You just watch the game from the press box, okay? And you're passing judgment on my answer. I I don't. I was looking at the the tablet while the quarterback threw three picks. I have no idea. I don't know what happened behind me in the back end. I was hitting Deshaun Watson. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's the what happened question is terrible. It drives me. That, that's the one. Like when I see guys get mad, I'm like, I understand because like when you lost, that is the last thing you want to hear. Like that's what my son used to say. Like. Yeah. Expect out of your your child, like so. What happened? Y'all got whooped. Well, if you know the answer, why are you asking? We have a, we have a segment on this little podcast called "What Happened Out There, Dada," uh, <laughs> and 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 I get the little wailing voiceover. Last week it was an easy pick. It was the onside kick. I mean, that was just it's our come on, man. How about? I think the interception that he threw last week was definitely my fault. I ran the wrong route. That's that's D Hop talking about Kyler Murray. I know that he's being a stand-up guy here. How much do you see that at the wide receiver position where a guy volunteers that he ran the wrong route? Well, you don't have to volunteer it. The whole team and the whole offense knows that you ran the wrong route. So yeah. if he goes out there and he says the quarterback messed it up, you know, he would just be, that's not what you want. He would sound like a diva, like it's not him. So the best thing you can do at a receiver is always just acknowledge when it's your fault because you're the last line of defense. I tell people all the time, when you're a receiver, when you mess up, it's clear. It's almost like the kicker, right? Like yeah. if you all sides, everyone sees it. You're the farthest away from the ball. You know, if you if it's a deep ball, everyone else had to block. The quarterback had to get the ball. They had to throw it to you. You drop it, like everyone sees it plain as day. So, you know, our, the mistakes out wide are, are more clear and they're easier to see. And he did the right thing by standing up. Hey, dude, you've been on a lot of you've you've played with a lot of quarterbacks. And you've, you've played with a lot of wideouts as well, I'm sure. And they all have different personalities. Some demand the ball a bunch. Have you seen, like, kind of, like, sucking up to get the ball? Like, is that a thing in wide receiver rooms? Some people do. You know, try to get real close to the quarterback. And, hey, man, it's up to y'all. Like, no, bro, the quarterback's going to go where you open. Like, do, do your so job. It, so it doesn't work to, like, suck up to quarterbacks. They're going to throw to the open guy. Some guys try to do it, and then it leads to your team being in tough situations because you're trying to force feed your guy to keep him happy. You know, because there are some guys that do want the ball. Yeah. They're going to want the ball. Well, dude, if you're not open or you're not getting a route where you can win one-on-one versus a particular coverage, then it's just not going to work. And those are the worst kind of people to play with. That sucks. Fourth paragraph of the Wikipedia entry for Tory Smith. <laughs> Quote, I hold a grudge against UVA a little bit, and I'm not afraid to say it, end quote. Yeah, I still hate y'all, Mo. Is that what, what Tori Smith meant by that? That's the translation? Yeah, he basically hates us motherfuckers. Okay. How old was that? How old? That was when you were in school, so that's what, 17, yeah. 18 You were old enough ago? to go to war, and you said that? You know what? I let it go now. You want to know why? Oh, here it comes. The guy who recruited me and who didn't offer me was my receivers coach for my second Super Bowl, Mike Grubb. So 
It's all love now. That's one of my favorite dudes. Yeah, so there you go. The 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 growth thing came full circle. But yeah, we would have loved to have you down here. It would have you would have been a good fit, much better fit than up in College Park. Such a dumpster fire up there. I mean, you just said it's all love. I know, but I can't. Uh, I can't do the all love thing. What happens? What, I, I, lo- I love Tori. It's just not all love. Okay. I love Tori. I love Aaron Henderson. I haven't talked to Aaron Henderson in a long time, but I like Aaron Henderson. Lance Ball was my guy. Okay. What's Lance Ball doing now? I don't know, man. It looks like he should be like a school teacher or something. I don't know. There's moral stories you don't keep up with your college teammates. The bond must not have been that strong. Mm. I, I, I'm probably the issue. I'm the issue. You're the issue. Well, that's that's good accountability. That's like DeAndre Hopkins level accountability. I wouldn't expect anything else from our guy, Tori Smith. Dude, Tori, it's good catching up with you live from the Tori Smith home gym that doesn't have any weights in it. It's just all cardio equipment. If you listen closely, you can hear why I'm in the gym. Because the kids. <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate you, man. Uh, come back another time. You want to plug your pod real quick? Because I know you got your pod going. Yeah, Trending Thoughts Podcast. You can find out everything you need on my social media, Tori Smith WR, or just TrendingThoughtsPodcast.com. One of the best, one of my favorites. Thanks so much, Tori. Appreciate you, bro. Okay, so let's do a quick mailbag and get out of here. We got a uh, hotline now on, on Greenlight Pod, so keep an eye out on my Instagram story. Uh, Joel91. thought you were La Flama Blanca. Yeah, Joel91 is my Twitter. That's right. I don't use as much anymore, but I, I live tweet games now. Yeah. Um, yeah, La Flama Blanca 95 is my Instagram and on my story during the week, you might find um, the hotline number and the mailbag will be open. So if you missed it this week, catch it next week. We have a real phone. I can hear y'all's voices. I can see your numbers. I might just start calling y'all back at three, four in the morning and fucking with you. The first caller this week is Evan from Austin. Can we fire that one up? Hey, this is Evan from uh, Austin, Texas, and, you know, big fan of the pod. And I was just wondering if you were going to cast the Big Wabowski with former teammates uh, and be the cast and why. I'll take my hands off there. Thanks. So Evan asks a tremendous question here, incredibly um, creative, and you've never seen the movie Big Lebowski. I've seen bits and pieces. I think I have seen it, but I haven't. It's Retained it. Yeah. None. I didn't. I didn't care for it. We should watch it again now that you're an adult and you have taste. Hey, um, that's fair because I am a Coen Brothers guy. I just didn't care for this one. One of the greatest movies of all time. Not tonight though. We've got Jags, Dolphins. Anyways, casting former teammates. This was a tough one, and I, I jotted some notes. Okay, so the dude Jeff Bridges, who's the protagonist of the movie. A lot of people would say Jason Kelsey because he has a sweater. Everybody's seen Jason in his dude-like sweater, uh, but he is not the dude. Bo Allen is the dude. Pacifist, more chill, never really angry, just more perpetually like incredulous. Nice word. Uh, yeah, irritated. There's another I word. Never like angry at people, just kind of like, what the fuck, dude? Like that kind of energy. Bo Allen, perfect dude. And that was hard. I racked my my brain for a good 15 minutes. I was going through, because to give somebody the title of the dude is a compliment. And, you know, Bo doesn't necessarily listen to this pod a lot. He didn't have time for much of anything up there in New England right now, rehabbing, 
Hopefully be back on the field soon. Wishing you good luck up there. But he's gonna be flattered that he's the that he's the dude. Um You wanna hear some good Cohen Brothers movies? Yeah, sure. Raising Arizona, Fargo, No Country for Old Men, A Serious Man, Burn After Reading, I even like. That's my list. No Country for Old Men is is an absolute goat. Yep. As is Raising Arizona, but that's a rewatch for me. It's been over a decade yeah, since I've seen it's it. It's been a while. Uh Walter, this is uh this is John Goodman. This is where you see your Jason Kelsey appearance. There is no character in any movie. <laughs> I don't know, that's an exaggeration. That's easier to cast than than Walter. Uh it's Jason. The Donnie scene, uh the Ashes scene that so many listeners are going to remember but you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh has it all. It has all the colors of the Jason Kelsey rainbow. It's got sentimental, it's got philosophizing, it's got a tinge of like, I could snap at any moment. Uh, his voice even kind of sounds like Goodman's. And uh, you know, there were times like when he took the Pomeranian for those people that he was helpful. And Jason is a really helpful guy, but he can also snap like he did on Donnie in the, in the bowling alley. And even you know the, the line, you're out of your element, Donnie. I, I can picture it. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's Jason Kelsey to a T, minus the pistol. Who's Julianne Moore? Well, I didn't play with any female football players. Oh, that's, yeah. so you're typecasting? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I bet you think like um, Cam Newton's a lot like Michael Vick and yeah. uh, that sort of stuff. Chris Long's like Kyle Vandenbosch. Right. Yeah. No, I don't do that. I really don't do that. And you know why I don't do it? Because um, I casted somebody totally randomly later in in this exercise. Okay, exercise. <laughs> I'm also against it though. Okay, Jesus, the the bowler, the antagonist at the bowling alley, so to speak. You have to see the movie. This guy's unbelievable. <laughs> he has to be somebody great. He has to be somebody with like showmanship. And I want to go Brian Dawkins, but I didn't. I didn't play with Brian Dawkins. Like Brian Dawkins crawled out of the fucking tunnel on all fours like that's showmanship right mm-hmm. there jesus would be proud there uh i thought about aaron donald but it could be fun to have Cortland finnegan play him i think Cortland finnegan would be would be the one jeffrey that's uh huddleston he's just such an asshole it's everybody's got to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and he's just the richest guy in in la presumably i'm gonna go mike carney or richie incognito your boy <sighs> Yeah. I could see Richie Incognito behind the desk. Just kind of high-pitched voice, too, for such a large guy. Philip Seymour Hoffman, his character, I think the guy's name is Brant. He's a butler. I'm going to go Julian Edelman. Second mention of Jules on the pod today. Jules is going to make a great second career out of acting, and this would be a nice entry-level role for him. And uh, you know what? Maybe to make this more realistic, Tom can be you know Huddleston's character. And it'll be really natural for Jules to be his butler. Shout out to the Little Lebowski inner city achievers. The Nihilist, okay? Who was played by Flea, who's a friend of the program. He's Nihilist number two. Who was the first Nihilist in the movie? Peter Sto- Stormare. Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. Peter. Peter Stormare. He would be like Northern European. 
just not giving a shit about much just relaxing all day he's from sweden yep born august 27th in 1953 but a nihilist doesn't care what their birthday is i'm gonna go aj feely hmm. aj feely's just got this perfect level of i don't give a fuck uh and i could see him playing a nihilist really well and then we'll finish with carl hungus <laughs> and that's gonna be nick Foles. oh <laughs> uh, yeah remember when he came to fix whatever that you don't remember see the movie um becca who's a who's a friend of mine on twitter let's play this this message here it's great great to have becca call in friend of the program for a long time hey chris and making uh this is becca i'm a falcons fan down here in mississippi terrible enough territory but my question is if you could only choose one matt ryan or philip rivers for the hall of fame which one are you giving the gold jacket to Thanks, guys. So I'm sorry that you're a Falcons fan. I've known that about you. You can touch it before it reaches uh, 10 yards. But your take on the Hall of Fame. It doesn't move me, Chris. Apologies to your father, great football player. Hall of Fames in general don't move me. Don't care so much it's for It's going to be awkward next time. Yeah. Hey, Howie. That's it? You're not going to be sure if he, if well, he heard this. Well, I'm going to wait for he – li- no, he listens. You know he listens. Yeah. Macon doesn't give a shit about the Hall of Fame. I, listen, I think the Hall of Fame can be a terrific reward for a lot of the, the best to ever do it, but the process is screwed up, and we probably agree there. The Terrell Owens thing is terrible. You know, I looked at a list of these guys who are all better than me. Well, actually. Most. Some. <laughs> and I'm not even being self-deprecating here. I've seen some names on this thing that I'm like, I'm not even positive this guy was that much better than me. And he's on the Hall of Fame big list. I know he'll probably never make it. Or, and I'm not going to name names because I don't like taking shots at people that, you know, over how good they are when they're better than me. Like, the, I'm not a hater. Like, I could give a fuck less about any of this stuff. There's a few levels I'd have to get to before I was actually serious about this. They just put kind of so many names on there that I'm like, what is this thing becoming? You know, what is the... What's the definition of being a Hall of Famer? Is it regular season production? Is it stats? Is it just postseason? You know, um, it's almost like they need to have two different Hall of Fames. One for men of the year. One for men of the and year. One for these meatheads. Just these fucking assholes. Yeah. That don't do any charity stuff. I um, we're asked about Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers. I to be honest, I think they're both Hall of Famers. But if I had to choose one, I'm going Matt Ryan. Do you have a lean? I don't, and I think if they're both Hall of Famers, then we are watching an NFL where about half the league's Hall of Famers. Well, I, I think that, you know, you, you'd said this before, I think maybe we are watching a, a time period where there's more Hall of Fame quarterbacks than any other time period, period, time period, period. Time period, period. I like, mean, and you can throw in, I know, do, the, do these two, but I mean, Matt Stafford is a is another interesting test case. I don't think they're going to do that. Because Matt Stafford, like, okay, I'm leaning, okay, for instance, I'm leaning Matt Ryan because of his postseason experience and his postseason wins, who he's beaten, how he performed even in the losses compared to Phil. Um, You know, Matt Stafford has won zero playoff games. Now, here's the fucked up part. If Matt Stafford played in New England, would he be in the Hall of Fame? Probably. Heck yeah, he's got the numbers. 
But I'm just saying, like, he would have found himself in big games and with coaches that helped him execute in those big games. And I'm not saying Tom wouldn't be a Hall of Famer if he weren't. I just use New England as an example. Where you play has such a bearing on how your career pans out. It just really does. As far as, like, if you're good in a bad spot, you're going to be good. But are you going to be great? It's going to be hard to be great. And everybody knows Matt Stafford has been really good. And there's a lot of quarterbacks like him who didn't have ideal situations and lit it up, you know, statistically. But to get those postseason shots with good teams and and coaching staffs, both of these players, you know, Matt and Phil, have had their their starts in postseason games. When I first looked at this, I thought that probably I'd give the nod to Phil because he's played better teams in the AFC or something. I don't know why I thought that. Maybe it's true. But I look at the quarterbacks – and Matt Ryan has beaten some good quarterbacks in the postseason. Okay, if I went down the list, in 08, he lost to Kurt Warner. The next year, I think it was, he lost to Aaron Rodgers. Then he lost to Eli. So he starts out 0-3. All Hall of Famers there. Then he goes on a tear. He beats Russ, beats Russ again the next year, beats Aaron, and then loses to Tom. That's a lot of big wins. To beat Russell Wilson twice and then beat Aaron Rodgers in the postseason... These are not easy wins for him. And another thing he has on Phil, besides the postseason performance, because Phil, you look at his numbers, they're not great in the postseason. I think he he threw for 2,500 yards. Uh, He's 5-6 and in the playoffs. He's 14-10 and touchdown to interception. Also, I read this today, QBR, uh, your passer rating drops four points in the postseason on average for an NFL quarterback. It drops like way more if you're Phillip Rivers. It's minus 10 for him, the differential. To put that in context, Peyton's a minus nine, okay? But Peyton has rings. Tom Brady's a minus seven, but Tom Brady has rings. Uh, Matt Ryan is a plus six, two, okay? So Matt Ryan has definitely played outplayed himself in the postseason, even in that MVP season, which by the way, Philip Rivers doesn't have an MVP, nor has he ever been first team all pro. I'm not shitting on Philip Rivers. I think they're both in, but Matt Ryan, because of that 2016 year, the body of work in the postseason, 2016, I talked about beating Russ. I talked about beating Green Bay. He posted a 139 rating in that win against uh, Green Bay. He posted a 125 rating against Russ. They lost to New England. I was there, okay? They were they were holding you back. You were so there. It's a good joke. I just want to remind people about that, like the most important holding call in Super Bowl NFL history. history yeah. They need to put a Hall of Fame for that. At least a foyer of... Oh, I just want a fucking... Mudroom fr- of... A mudroom. Of holding calls. Yeah, just like... Right next to the Hall of Fame. Next to the Hall of Fame, down the street... There's a cheaper option where you just go in and they have a picture of me getting held by Jake Matthews. Yeah. Most important holding calls in Super Bowl history. Yeah, mudroom. Book it. Yep. Uh, get on that, Roger Goodell. But that run in 2016 was crazy. He threw for 1,000 yards in the postseason, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. He posted a 144, by the way, and lost to a Hall of Famer in the Super Bowl. Lost the GOAT, up 28-3. I hold that against him, hold that against him, no more than I do that onside kick. And so that's a magical run for him. Phillips' longest postseason run was a three-game run in 2017. It wasn't Matt's run. 92 rating, 133 rating. It's his best postseason ever where he beat uh, 
Peyton Manning, uh, he beat Tennessee the week before that and then lost to New England 24-21. Four and four touchdown to interception ratio with 700 yards in that run. And you talk about talent, they both had talent just dispersed differently. Okay, LT, Antonio Gates in, in, the, in the prime of Phillip's career. And then Matt in the prime of his career throughout, I mean, he's had different targets that have moved around. He had an older Tony Gonzalez, he had Julio, he had Roddy White. You had kind of a running back by committee thing, but also consider the coaches that Matt's won with, two defensive coaches, right? And not even really good head coaches when you look at their entire body of work. I'm not saying they're bad head coaches. They're just not thought of as guys who would amplify a quarterback's production. Mike Smith, Dan Quinn. Okay, so you talk about regular season uh, statistics. Right now it's Phil, but Matt's got a chance to catch him. He's got a he's fringe top 10 in yardage and uh and touchdowns right now as we as we speak how many more years do you think Matt Ryan's got five five sounds good to me he might catch Dan Marino to put things into into perspective uh that's pretty good and who's in the in the in the Hall of Fame without Super Bowl victories a, a couple quarterbacks and I wouldn't count that game against Matt the thing is that Phil hasn't even been to a Super Bowl and there's one guy in the Hall of Fame who fits that bill, and that's Dan Fouts. Um, so you throw in the fact that Matt's been clutched 38 career game-winning drives. That's eighth all-time. The players he's outdueled in the postseason. The fact that he elevates his game in the postseason. I think they're both Hall of Famers, but give me uh, Matt Ryan. Give me neither. You don't think either of them should go in? Nah. Wow. Hall of Fame, not attic of pretty good. You know what the problem is with Phil, and it's understandable because he's magnetic. He's so entertaining. He's such a gunslinger. His the legend of Phil is bigger than his game, and that's not to say his game's not Hall of Fame level. To me, his game is Hall of Fame level. These are two guys who are fringier than people might think, or at least in Phil's in Phil's case. But he deserves to be there. Just the legend is so big. Like he's one of the most famous quarterbacks of all time, for sure. And it's not because he was a self promoter. Uh, that's right. There are only 26 pure quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame. Just FYI. Yeah. I don't know if we can throw 10, 12 in from this era. It's going to be hard, but they're not going to do it at once. You know, it could be Phil's a lot older and he's got a bus, not a conversion van because he's bringing all his grandkids to the Hall of Fame. It's like when you're uh, retiring numbers or yeah. retiring jerseys, mm -hmm. which is a new trend. Retire these guys' jerseys. Keep the numbers alive. I like that. I like that a lot. Ring of honor, fellas, coming your way. Yeah, just look at Phil's postseason stuff. It's not. It's just not as good as Matt's. Uh, and I didn't realize how good Matt's has been since that um, that early career drought. So, Matty Ice, Sam from Philly uh, has a question. Hi, Chris. This is Sam, a lifelong Eagles fan. Um, I was just kind of wondering when a kind of team gives up and how it kind of works during a season, would work during a season with no fans. I personally have kind of given up after the first quarter against the Redskins team. Kind of transferred my energy into the Mass Singer, because that's pretty much all I have left to live for. Uh, I was really looking forward to this Eagles team. But I just kind of want to know, at what point does the team shut down, and how much different would that be with no fans? Thank you. So this guy says that he quit watching the Eagles to watch the Masked Singer. Mm. which is an interesting transition for me. So you prefer 
you prefer one big reveal rather than the team showing you who they are like week after week is it is what you're saying you like to suppress your negative feelings and then he also asked the second part of the question was uh when does the team grow give up okay when does the team grow up that's a great question I don't think, I think the give up part is exaggerated. I think it happens, you know, with that wave of negativity that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You suck for a game or two. And then you just, like the rest of the year, things always go wrong because you're expecting them to. The stress mounts, it kind of breaks people. Uh, you've been on, you've been on team flights and you've, you've been around teams and that sort of thing. Like, Shit runs downhill, and uh, I think one of the most important things is a coach has to walk that line, like embrace the role of a spoiler if you're eliminated without normalizing that mediocrity, and then motivating people by saying, hey, we're gonna find out who wants to be here, which is easier to do in the pros because like people's jobs are on the line. I can guarantee you nobody's taking the field just like half-assing it completely because you won't be there for long. And doing that without making people feel like afraid to come to work. Because at the end of the day, being miserable is not going to make a team better. And I think that's what a lot of fans think and some coaches think is like, if we're 0-4, we just get more miserable, we'll be 1-4 the next week. That's not how it works. You have to kind of walk that line. Um, but bad teams get exposed. You know, if you, have, if you have run game issues early, then there's blood in the water, and then you, you can't just fix things in football midseason. It's not like you can just make one big change or turn your roster over. So that's what happens. Like There's blood in the water. Fans are paying attention. Is this team going to give up? Or are they going to keep playing hard? Well, that's assuming that they can start winning. You know, And I think that's the, the thing a lot of fans of their favorite teams don't realize. Is like Losing is not a choice all the time. And so I think you got to be careful about just being like, well, that team gave up. Um, I did. I personally gave up maybe one year, a little bit. Like I still went out there and played my ass off, but mentally I was shot. Probably my eighth year uh, coming back from the tibia thing, and I moved out of my house. We we lived in a hotel because I knew I was probably gonna have to sell it. I was not in a good place mentally. I was kind of past it. I was moving on. I was gonna play my hardest, but I knew that this the last couple games. And I'll admit, I kind of, I can't, I kind of gave up, and I even socially like kind of like withdrawed. A little bit from teammates you know I, th I think that you know people can mentally give up without giving up on the field and 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 that should answer your question Sam so as your Eagles if they slide this Sunday and lose to the Bengals it's not because the guys said fuck it believe me <laughs> they want to play hard and get a win it's just that football teams are designed poorly and then they don't it doesn't play out well that's the way things work Bronco Mendenhall what does he say Every organization is designed for the results it gets. Yeah, I mean that's that's the results the, they get, and that's how that's how pro football is as well. So if you think that guys can just try their way out of holes, it's not always going to happen. Hey, we'll see y'all on Monday. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the foosball this weekend. Y'all take care.